Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, we once again approach your throne, your throne of holiness, and we pray that come that from that throne comes the word of God to all of us Amen. by the voice of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray today that as we open up your word, that you would speak to each one of us and that you would enable me to say the words that you would have me to say. I pray that you would have me say the words that you would say if you were standing here. Let your anointing prevail. Let your truth prevail. I pray today that we would be encouraged, taught, and challenged. Lord God. We submit ourselves to you in this moment, and we pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 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 Have we misplaced the word of God? Have we misplaced the word of God? I was thinking about this this week, and Here's what I have to say. The state of the American church in 2020 concerns me more than the outcome of an election Amen. or even the state of our country. I know many of you this morning are confused and you got a lot of questions and some of you may be angry, but I, I am far more concerned about the state of the American church. And I specifically say the American church, uh, the majority of the rest of the world, they don't have a problem. Uh, but in the American church, we've, we've uh, compromised. Anyway, I'll get to that. We're going to read the story of Josiah the king. Uh, he, it's a great story of rediscovering God's uh, word and, his, and a proper response. Uh, Josiah, as you'll see in a moment, is a very interesting character in the history of Israel. While he was king, I say Israel is actually Judah. It, while he was king, the southern nation of Judah experienced one of the greatest revivals that they had ever experienced while he was king. And I want to remind us that the American church is not made up of buildings or organizations, but people. Everybody say people. People who are joined together to become a living organism. Now, some people like us have a building that we meet in, and we can call this the church, but it's not really. It's really just a church building. The church is the living organism made up of people joined together through covenant relationships. And God orders that joining and God orders that placing. And uh, I pray that if you're a part of Abundant Life Church, that you're a part of Abundant Life Church, and those of you watching at home as well, uh, you're because God joins you by his sovereign power and covenant to this body. And uh, And so we want to look at 2 Kings... 22, I, I tried to see where to stop reading this, and I'm going to just go through verse 20, um, which is the, you know, the entire chapter. Um, so if you would stand while we read the Word of God, and, and I'm reading once again from the English Standard Version. This first part is one of the most interesting things about Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And we just dismissed our children, so King one of the one of the kings just went back there. <laughs> and he reigned thirty-one years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, son of Meshulam 
the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters and to the builders and to the masons, and let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly." And Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary said, or told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Shaphan read it before the king. You get the impression that Shaphan didn't really realize what he had. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes, and the king commanded Hilkiah the high, the priest, and Ahikam the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah or Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book. That has been found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest and Ahikam and Akbor and Shaphan and Uzziah went to Huldah. Probably she'd be Hilda. But anyway, the prophetess, the wife of, of Shalom, the son of Tikva, son of Har... I should have had some of y'all read this. <laughs> Keeper of the wardrobe... <laughs> Now, she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. I'm not going to harp on this, but remember, she's married to the keeper of the wardrobe. That's, that's interesting to me. And they talked with her, and she said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants, all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger, with all the work of their hands, therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place and it will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants that they should become a desolation and a curse and you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. And they brought back word to the king. You can be seated. And, I, and I've got to do this in 30 minutes. I hope you don't have anything on the stove. Josiah's grandfather was Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the the evil, the most evil kings of Judah that, it, I mean, well, let me just read you a, a sentence, just one sentence and you'll understand. Um, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. It did him early back then, didn't it? Uh, it says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out. In other words, he, he adopted 
what the nations they drove out thought and did. And then his son, Ammon, or Ammon, here's what it says of him. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. He walked in all the way in which his father walked, served the idols that his father served, worshipped them, he abandoned the Lord God. So this is the legacy and this is the heritage of Josiah. By the way, uh, he's, pro- he's I think he's the only king that nothing negative is said about. You'll get a few occasions where they'll say he did was what was right in the sight of the Lord, except he did this or didn't do that. But here's his legacy. His father and his grandfather did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, even using the words despicable. So he's crowned king when he's eight years old. It's interesting the Bible says that eight years later, or in the eight years of his reign, the Bible says he was yet a boy. So I guess those of you who are 16, I hope you're not offended by being called a boy. I didn't do it. The scripture did. But he's 16 years old, and he says at that point he began to seek God. I, I, you know, you have to ask the question, what was going on the prior eight years? He's sitting on the throne of Judah. He's a descendant of David. And yet we know that when he's 16 years old, he begins to seek God. And when you begin to seek God, what, what do you, what happens? You find him. He said, you will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. And so he begins to seek God. He begins to see what's going on uh, around Judah. And, and in the 18th year of his reign, so now he's 26 years old. I can do math. Anyway, <laughs> in, the, in the 18th year of his reign, he, began, he gives the order to repair the temple. So we know now that his grandfather and his father had allowed the temple, which at that time was the central part of their worship, allowed it to get into disrepair. They had ignored the temple. We also know that they had erected shrines to other gods and ignored God's temple. Josiah comes along and says, we need to repair the temple. Send some money to the workers, the carpenters and the masons. Send some money. And give. And, and, and by the way, if you want to read... Uh, Second Chronicles, I believe it's 34. That's a, the parallel version of this. They go into more detail about the temple and all of that. Uh, but we're using Second Kings 22. So they begin to repair the temple, send them, send them some money so they can repair the temple, what they need to do. And so Hilkiah says, Oh, by the way, I found the book of the law, which means it was, it was lost or at the very least misplaced was misplaced. He says the book of the law is found. Now, there's a minor debate. Uh, some some scholars believe that the, the the book of the law they're referring to is just the book of Deuteronomy. That would be enough, but I, I don't I don't believe that. I believe it's the whole book of the law, which in this case would be the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. It's the entire book of the law, the entire a decrees of God for his people. And they, it had been misplaced or lost at least since Manasseh was king. 
Now, if you're doing evil practices and despicable practices and you're worshiping false gods, you probably don't care much about what the book of the law says. You probably don't even want to hear it. And so Manasseh and his son Ammon, they had ignored, not only ignored it, they didn't even know where it was. That's what happens when you find something. You don't know where it was. Come on now. I've been quick this morning. It was most likely missing for 60 years. Could you imagine 60 years without the scriptures? You only had one copy, and it's missing for 60 years. How off base could somebody get? How wacky could someone get? And while it was missing, idol worship and pagan practices had replaced it. Let me just tell you something. Whenever there's a vacuum, there's always something or someone to fill the vacuum. This is how Adolf Hitler became in power in Germany. There was a vacuum of leadership. And so he said, I'll just step right in there. Next thing you know, we're in World War II. So Josiah, he's, he's 26 and he gets this word. What is his response? Again, different response than his father and a different response than his grandfather. His response, according to the prophetess, was one of humility. He humbled himself. He could have said, take that thing back where you got it. (laughs) I don't want to hear that. I'm going to do like my daddy. But he, he responded with humility and he said to them, he had a, he said, go, go find somebody. He had a desire to learn the truth. And he wanted the truth to be told to him. Whether or not it was comfortable, whether or not it was nice or sweet, he wanted to know the truth. And he said, go inquire of the Lord for me and for all Judah concerning the words of this book. Go find out what's going on here. And basically she tells him that the judgment is still upon Judah. While you're living, that judgment will be stayed. But one day you'll go to meet your fathers, and then that judgment will be executed on Judah. After humility, here's an interesting thing, and we we just read it. I'm not going to go back and reference it every time. The next thing he did was have the reading of the word. Imagine having church and reading the Bible. You know why I say that? I have a lot of people who walk in that door out there who have been other churches. I'm not naming churches. Sometimes they don't even tell me. And I have multiple people who've told me it's the first church I've gone to that somebody opened up a Bible and read it. He read, he read the word. And he, and he, re, he refers to the, the book in, in Chronicles and in Kings. He refers to it as the book of the covenant. Book of the law, book of the covenant. Because our relationship with God is one of covenant that he makes with us. And the book of the law is a book that illuminates our covenant with God. It identifies it and it tells us the, 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 the conditions basically. Of the covenant with God. So then when he read, had the reading of the word, 
in verse 3 of chapter 23, I'm not, we're not going to read chapter 23. He, he says that he made a covenant before the Lord. He stood up by a pillar, which meant something. And he made a covenant with God. Something his father and grandfather had never done. Because he realized he was confronted with the word of God. This is what happens when you find the word of God in your life. He made a covenant, and this is what he said, to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes. Do I have a slide for that, William? I don't. Never mind. To walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. To perform all the words. One, one version there says to do all the things God said. And here's an interesting part. The last line of, of verse 3 says, And all the people joined in the covenant. So here's a leader making covenant with God. And his covenant is that, that uh, he would perform the words of the covenant that are written in this book. And the people, people, people want to be led, by the way. People need leadership. And in most cases, people will follow godly leadership. And this 26-year-old man stood up, made a covenant with God that we're going to perform the words of this book. And all the people said, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. And so then he begins this era of reforms. He begins this time of seeing what, what is and what should be. He begins this age of recognizing the decadence of Judah. And he also sees the standard by which God gives them in the book of the law, in the book of the covenant. Uh, this is not all of them, and, and you'll just have to read 23. But he, he begins to remove move out of the the temple, impure vessels, vessels that had been tainted according to their prescription of worship, things that you could and couldn't do with the vessels. Uh, he commanded uh, and he commanded things to be done. He burned some of the stuff that was evil, and he put an end to practices and, in some cases, people who were evil in those days. He began to make a move is the point. He began to make a move toward righteousness. Now, righteousness, the Bible tells us, righteousness exalts a nation. And then he, after he does some of this removal, he renews uh, the ordained worship that they all grew up with called the Passover. The Passover is where they would, they would go through the ceremony and the ultimate outcome of the ceremony was to be grateful to God that on that day, when they put the blood on the post and the death angel came by, that they were spared. And they would celebrate that at every Passover. But they had not been doing this. They had not been celebrating the Passover. This was a new thing. It's amazing when you read the Word of God how you say, wait, I didn't know that. Sixty years. So some of the people had never been born. And they began to worship God. He put away the mediums and the necromancers, which are spiritists, basically the practicing of witchcraft. 
people. I, I, I remember we were in the Baptist church and we, you know, we tried to talk to kids and of course we were kids ourselves, but we would say, man, stay away from the Ouija boards. Stay away from, you know, all the things. Oh, that's not, that's not harmful. Oh, there's nothing to that. I remember telling uh, all of us, telling all the, the folks around us, this was the time when the, uh, exorcist came out the movie. And a bunch of them, oh, we can't wait to go see that. Man, don't go see that. Don't go see the exorcist. Don't play with witchcraft, people. Don't play with spiritism. Don't play with the dark side of the supernatural. The scripture is full of instruction and warnings about what might happen. Don't do that. Josiah put them away. Now, you can just figure that out yourself, that how he put them away. And it says, uh, Still the Lord did not, and this is 26 or 23, did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled because of all the provocations. Uh, well, I'm going to go back a little further, actually. It says he did this. He removed the spiritist and he removed the necromancers in order that he might establish the words of God written in the book. It doesn't matter that it's witches or spiritists or all of that. It is, doesn't matter. But the point is that he removed what was keeping them from establishing the word of God. He did this so that he could do that. Now, here, here's an interesting thing. The word establish in that passage is a word that means to rise up. It's a word that means, as a matter of fact, uh, verse 3, if you remember, it said, perform the words of the covenant. Think about the fact that the book of the law, the words of God, had been suppressed, lost, misplaced, and what replaced them was idle practices, pagan worship. So he removes all of that. He removes the, the mediums. He removes the false idols. He removes everything that would, would keep them from worshiping God. And then he wants to cause the book of the law, the words of God, to rise up to their place of prominence and importance. We get rid of this so we can have this. And as long as you dabble in this... You're not going to get this. And then chapter 23 ends with this statement. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all, everybody say all, all. the law of Moses. And there has never been a king like him since. Because he's, he's, he rediscovered. Now he's, he's 26 years old. This thing's been missing for 60 years. He might have heard somebody talk about it one day and maybe knowing his father and grandfather, he probably never heard a word other than there is a book of the law and they find it and they bring it to him. 
And his response has to be our response when we look into the word of God. So what is the response of the American church to God's word? What are, what are, what, what are we doing as an American church? Now, again, there could be other parts of the country that are dealing with this, but I know when you go to China and some of these other places, you don't find a church that is compromising. You don't find a church that's not embracing the word of God. In America, we're spoiled rotten. The word for today, for me and from Peter, is for the time has come for judgment to begin with the house of God. See, I'm not so much worried about America. I'm not so much worried about uh, the outcome of an election. I'm not so much worried about uh, you know, whether or not who's, who's governing. I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about that. I don't think I'm ignoring it. But I'm primarily concerned about the house of God. If we're going to be light and if we're going to be salt, if we're going to be those people in, who influence society, then we must be people who, who, who embrace the words of God and ask ourselves the question, have we misplaced God's word? Well, so no, I mean, like on my desk, I have about a dozen of these stacked up. So, well, no, I hadn't misplaced the Bible. Have we misplaced the application of God's word? Have we ignored the instructions of God's word? Have we, the church, misplaced word of God? I don't mean, I don't mean just lost, but have we misplaced in priority and importance God's word? Let me just stick this in here. Bring a Bible to church. Now, I don't mind if your Bible's on here. I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. But if you're going to, if you're going to look at your Bible in church, at least, uh, don't look at Facebook. Unless you're posting something really good I just said. But anyway, I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with you not bringing anything. Someone asked me one time, they're no longer here. Maybe they didn't like my answer. Why do you always want us to bring a Bible to church? I thought, what a question. This was not, this was not a 15 year old. This was a 50 year old. And I said, because I want you, when I'm reading the word of God, I want you to see with your eyes what, what the word of God says so God can speak to your spirit. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And even if you're hearing yourself, read it, that's good. I'm not getting on you. I'm just saying, bring a phone or a Bible, whatever you can bring, so you can read the word of God with us on Sunday mornings. And any time you go to a Bible study, which is kind of funny to even have to say that, <laughs> bring a Bible. Well, anyway, um, the American church has replaced the scripture with human reasoning and what seems to make sense to us. We, we have, we've adjusted, and I'll get to that in a minute, but we've adjusted the word of God to what makes sense to us. I've heard people say that. Well, I read that in the Bible, but that makes no sense to me. It can't be. 
It can't be that way. And the reason they think it can't be that way, because it makes no sense to them. A lot of what God says makes no sense. A lot. He said, everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. So the kingdom of God means that the way up is down. And the way down is up. That makes no sense. But it's true. If you humble yourself, God will exalt you. He'll put you in a place of, of, of service. But if you exalt yourself, he's going to knock your feet out from under you. The way up is down. Uh, you can turn, if you, if you can turn fast enough, either in your phone or your Bible, James, book of James. I'm going to read a couple verses here about this. Be doers. Everybody say doers. By the way, I'm not trying to turn us into Bible thumpers. Okay, hear that. Hear my heart. I'm not trying to turn us into a bunch of Bible thumpers. I want us to to be people who embrace the Word of God to us and allow the Holy Spirit to work it in us, but we have a desire to do what God's Word says. James 1 says, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but forgets, who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And he's using an example of a mirror. We look in a mirror and we just look at our natural face. Well, that makes sense to me. And he said, but pick up this other mirror, this perfect law of liberty, and look into that mirror and see how you line up with what that says. See what, see what the word of God says and how that aligns with what you see in that mirror. It's about God's heart. One of the things we've done in the American church is that we've created, listen, we've created a human worshiping God. We have created a God who worships human beings. We've created a God who exists so that he can just do things for us and give us good stuff. Let me tell you something. God takes care of his kids. God takes care of his children. That's why there's provision. That's why there's healing. That's why there's deliverance. That's why there's all the things we need in life. But we have, we have lived in a, Lord help me to say this the right way. <clears throat> we have lived in a, an age when we are spoiling children rotten by giving them everything they want, everything they desire, and all they got to do is whimper and we go grab whatever it is and we bring it to them. I watched as a teenager, uh, my best friend, only child, and he'd say to his dad, Daddy, I don't like the bicycle I got. I want another bicycle. Mm, run, go get him a bicycle. 
Fast forward a few years, Daddy, I don't like the motorcycle I got. I want a bigger motorcycle. Run down to the motorcycle shop. Daddy, I need a car. Run, get him a brand new Volkswagen. Three months later, Daddy, I don't like the Volkswagen. Go get me a pickup truck. Run down and get him a pickup truck. I'm so mad at my daddy. Because he'd do none of that. Daddy, what about you? Nope, you couldn't move him. <laughs> I'm so grateful today I couldn't. Because my best friend went through some tough times. Because he was so spoiled, he didn't know how to deal with life. And I say all that because now what we've done is we've transferred that mentality to our relationship with God. And we think God exists just to give us everything we want. Hmm. I know I don't hear a lot of amens, but it's true. Mm. God does not worship human beings. God loves his human beings. God loves you more than anything in the world, but he doesn't worship you. I always hear Brother Charles Simpson talk about his parents loved him, but they didn't they weren't impressed with him. Another thing we've done is we've adjusted God's word to fit our own desires. We, we've decided what we wanted or what we wanted to do or what we wanted to be, and we've taken God's word and we've adjusted it to fit what we wanted to do. We have, uh, we have uh, given approval to lifestyles and said God understands. We've adjusted God's word to permit us to do things, go places. Let me just tell you. God help me. I'm trying to think of everybody who's here and it's not going to work. Somebody's watching. Anyway. Good Lord. Well, like it is, is it, it grieves me to no end. When I hear of Christians, men and women, cohabitating outside the bond of marriage. So you're just an old fogey. You're just an old fogey. You don't. It just, it just drives me crazy. Marriage is a great institution. And people making excuses. And that's just one example. People making excuses. Well, this and well, that. Well, well, have you misplaced the book of the law? Have you misplaced God's word in your life? And why is that so important? It's not because God's sitting up in heaven and saying, boy, I'm going to make sure those people have no fun. He says, you shall not commit adultery. He does that because, well, I'm not going to have any fun. So I'm going to make sure they're not having any. Oh, no. <laughs> God made you. You are made in the image of God. God knows every fiber of your being, every cell in your body, every blood vessel. He knows every, oh, I can't get all the medical terms. He knows every inch of you. The Bible says he knows every hair that's on your head. Now, some of us, that doesn't take as much time as others, but he knows every hair that's on your head. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what makes you function. He knows what is good for you, and he knows what is not good for you. Why in the world wouldn't we want 
the God who made us to run us. And the reason he has these prescriptions of life is because he knows that anything other than his prescription is going to cause destruction. And I'm going to say that again in a moment. It causes destruction in our life when we get outside of God's prescribed way of life. It's not that he doesn't want us to have any fun. It's that he wants us to have life to the fullest. And that can only be found in him and in his ways. I bet I get an email this week. <laughs> well, I might as well just walk the plank. There are a lot of lifestyles that we accept that, and we make excuses for. Again, all we're doing is taking less than what God has for us. And I say to people who want to get into other lifestyles, uh, would you, would you, uh, celebrate with me? Would you have a party with me tomorrow night? And let's celebrate the fact that so and so is cheating on their wife. Let's have a party and, and celebrate that. Well, nobody in their right mind would do that. She may show up with a gun. I mean, I don't. <laughs> nobody would do that. But we celebrate other lifestyles. That are just as, as, as wrong as adultery. I'll get two emails. And here's when God's word ceases to be our standard of living, other things creep in that are ungodly, evil, and ultimately will bring destruction into our lives. John W. Ali is the research associate at Vos Seminary in Western Australia. He says, commitment to Yahweh is to be expressed not only in places and forms of corporate worship, but also in the decision-making of everyday life. Seeking advice or some control over the future through mediums and spiritists or household gods is prevented by their removal. If you've removed those things from your life, you're not going to be accessing those things. And you could the list could go on of things that cause problems. So what do we do? We need to align our lives with God's decrees. Now hear this and hear it loud and hear it clear. When you open up God's word and you study the scriptures, please don't be looking for rules and regulations. Don't be looking for rules. Now on the other side of that is sometimes we get too worried about legalism. We get so worried about legalism, we don't even want to obey God's word because we're afraid of being legal, legalistic. I mean, you say, you shall not murder. Well, okay, then I'm not going to murder anybody. That's a great move. <laughs> It'll also keep you out of jail. An electric chair. Here's what I mean by that. Don't open up the Bible looking for a rule to follow. Open up the Bible to see God's heart and his desire for humankind. Open up the Bible and see what God's heart is for you. What God, what God says is the best for you. I tell people when they, when they adopt a direction of life, 
that is unbiblical. They are they are uh, settling for less than what God has. And we all do it to a degree, okay? Nobody here is exalting ourselves saying we're so right. We all do it to certain degrees. Don't settle for less than what God has for you. And when you get outside the bounds of Scripture, you are settling for less than what God has for you. See God's heart and be obedient, but don't be obedient with a contingency. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their, that's their given names, their, their, their Hebrew names. I'm not sure I can pronounce them as well. But anyway, you know, they're thrown in the fiery furnace. And they say to Nebuchadnezzar, now you can throw us in there, and our God is able to deliver us from that fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, watch this, even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. See, we, the American church, we say, okay, God, this is what I expect. This is what I want. And I'm going to obey you as long as or until, okay, God, he doesn't do what we want him to do. And we say, where's God in all of this? What if, what if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have burnt up like the guys who threw him in the furnace? What if they had to burn up to, to, to a crisp? Would people around them have been saying, well, where was God in all of this? But they, they declared they were not going to obey God with a contingency. They were just going to obey God. They were going to worship God. Don't worship God if. Don't obey God if. Just obey God. By the way, the old TV show called Father Knows Best. And he does. Well, I've gone too long. I just got a text message. <laughs> it was actually from Slim Chickens. They got a special on today. <laughs> You think I'm kidding. <laughs> Again, I'm not going to read uh, Deuteronomy 28. If you're taking notes, you're going to write that down. Uh, Deuteronomy 28 talks about the blessing and the curse. And the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 deal with the blessing of God and the remaining. Here's, here's how it works. There's 68 verses in this chapter. 14 verses deal with the blessing of obedience. 54 verses deal with the consequences of disobedience. Let me remind you, this Christian walk is not so much about perfection, but about a posture of hearing and a heart to comply. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. In, that, in those 14 verses, I'm not even going to deal with the consequences, but in those 14 verses, we're told that the blessing of the Lord will overtake you. God's blessing is chasing you, and it will catch you from behind. Amen. Verse 3 says, Blessed are you in the city, and blessed are you in the field, city and country, every geographical, economical, and political sphere possible. There's the blessing of God on you. Why? 
because you're obedient. Prosperity. Oh, here we go. You're going to love this one. He said, there are good things. There's benefits to walk. The King James, the New King James says this way, the Lord will bring you plenty of goods. We all have provision. The Lord will provide all of your needs and even some of your wants. But what we have to engage with him in a place of obedience. And Deuteronomy 28 says, and you'll have offspring. I know some of you don't want offspring right now. That's okay. But offspring are a blessing from God. He says it's a, it's like having a quiver of arrows. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And so the Deuteronomy 28 shows this is a blessing of God because of our obedience. You'll have produce of the ground. Your livestock will flourish. You'll have barns of productivity. This is all blessings because of our obedience to God. And he ultimately says you'll have victory. Victory over what? Victory over sin. Victory over flesh. Victory over everything we face. Ultimately, we have victory. Why? Because... It's the blessing of God. Well, later on, you can read the whole chapter. Uh, from 15 on, it gets a little depressing. But it does say, just what I've been saying all morning, you can either have blessing or you can have curse. The blessing is from obedience and the curse is from disobedience. Don't look for rules. Look for God's heart. Receive from the storehouse of heaven. God's good treasure. And he says also that you have rain that enriches and feeds everything, and he's going to bless the work of your hand. I don't know what all this means, but he said you're going to be the head and not the tail, above, not beneath. And then it says in verse 14, don't turn neither to the left nor to the right. In other words, what that means is what I just said. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. Where is your nose pointing? Where is the needle on your compass? Is it pointing to true north? Now, if you, if you aim your, your needle at true north to, and that's Jesus Christ, you may, you may get off, off a little bit on that compass. And, you know, I would say most likely you would because you are a, watch this, human being. But if your direction is good, you'll get back on where you're supposed to be. No, you're not going to be perfect. If you are, would you write a book and, and, Bring it to me. But you can be, your direction can be good. Lord, help me. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Choices. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you will, you shall live and multiply and the Lord God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. If. Have, have we, have we misplaced the word of God? Have you misplaced the word of God in your life? I know you. You've probably got 10 Bibles at home. Have you misplaced the word of God in your life? There's a verse we use, and I'm closing, in case you do have something on the stove. Uh, There's a verse we use a lot of times in leading people to Christ, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with using this verse this way. 
But I want you to see it in context. I don't, I don't, did I switch the slides there, William? Put that next slide up. Yeah, that's the one. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And like I say, we use that often for leading people to Christ. Absolutely nothing wrong with it, but that's not the context that it was written in. That's not the context Jesus said. He's talking to the church of Laodicea. Maybe next week or sometime we'll deal with some of the, or those letters that he wrote to the churches. But he's dealing with a church that he says is lukewarm. You know why they're lukewarm? They've misplaced the word of God. And he said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Either get on or get off. And he said, because you're lukewarm. Well, the, the cleaned up version says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Because you're lukewarm, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Because you don't really care. Because you've misplaced the word of God in your life. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If we don't behold this mirror, if we don't behold ourselves in the word of God, we will fool ourselves into thinking, hey, we got it, man. We got it all together. I don't need anything. I don't need a thing from God. Well, if you don't need a thing from God, you must be dead. Because we all need God. And he says, you fooled yourself into thinking that you got everything together, but the truth is, you're wretched. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. Your condition of your life, you are not seeing because you're looking at a false image. So, have I know y'all going to jump up and run out of here this in a few minutes, but have you, have we, the church, misplaced the word of God? Sadly, the answer is in a lot of cases, yes. And I'll, I'll you know... Daniel asked God to forgive the sin of his people when Daniel had committed no sin. I'll say we, the church, have in this day and age, in many ways, misplaced or lost the word of God. And we've, we've created our own way. We've compromised and we've diluted and we are off track. I pray we're not. That doesn't mean we're not, but I pray that we're not off track. And I pray that we would endeavor, at Abundant Life Church, we would endeavor to make the Scripture and God's Word and God's heart the standard of our living and read it and then do what it says. Amen. Thank you, Miss Dixie. Let's stand. <laughs>